Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is uh, episode number four of the From Grief to Greatness podcast, and I am Gerard, and I am here with Christy and John. Hi, I'm Christy. Hi, I'm John. So we spent the first three episodes uh, with me telling my story, and we are a group here that is focused on uh, helping anyone and everyone heal from any grief or loss that they've experienced. And uh, for the next uh, number of episodes, John is going to tell his story, so I'm not going to take up any more time from you, John. Go right ahead. All right. Thank you, Gerard. Um, my story starts in uh, 1990 when I was 21 years old on uh, July 19th, to be exact. I was having a party and um, I was uh, a manager at a McDonald's at the time. I knew a lot of people, a lot of kids, and we used to have some raucous parties. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people. Gerard knows that. He was at some of them. <laughs> and uh, there would be like, you know, 30 40, maybe 50 people in and out of my parents' house when they were in Florida. And uh, that's where they were at the time, our mom and dad. And um, this was right before they were going to be coming back. I usually had the parties in midweek. They would be down there for two weeks. But for some reason, I had it right before they were coming back. And the next morning, July 20th, I was uh, stepping over the remains of the people sleeping on the floor. And uh, there was a phone call, and it was my godmother, Mary, and I thought that was extremely unusual, and she was speaking rather somberly and saying, my parents had been in a car accident driving back from Florida, and it was a serious accident, and that I should get a plane ticket as soon as I could for Jacksonville, Florida, which was the nearest airport, and that the chaplain from the hospital would meet me there and drive me to the hospital in Georgia. And I'm just in shock. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, but she just says, you know, get down there and, and the, the chaplain will, will tell me everything that, that happened. So I, I go in. I, my uh, girlfriend and soon-to-be wife, Marie, was still there. And I tell her what's happening. And my good friend, Stu, was still there. He had slept overnight. And he said he would drive me to the airport. And... Um, so I'm getting ready, I'm packing my bags, calling up on the phone to get there, get the plane tickets, and uh, the phone rings again. And this time, it's the chaplain from the hospital that my godmother had spoken of, that, and he's saying that uh, he'll meet me at the airport and how I can uh, recognize him, and, um, and he also tells me um, what my godmother had held back. He says, my father had died, that he never made it past the um, accident on the interstate. And at this point, um, I'm just, I didn't remember what he says after that. I put the phone down. I'm in tears. Tears are just, are, are, are just, you know, streaming down my face. And I walk into the kitchen and Marie's standing in the kitchen and I just tell her he didn't make it. And I can remember saying it so clearly now he didn't make it. And, and now Marie's in tears and we're hugging each other in the kitchen and uh, somehow I, I pull myself together and get to the airport, get on the plane, get down to Jacksonville. The, the chaplain is waiting for me. And on the drive to Brunswick, Georgia, it was probably about a half hour drive. He's telling me the details uh, of the accident. So apparently my parents are driving north on Interstate 95, coming back from Daytona where they had a condo. And um, at this part of the interstate, the only separator is the grass divide. And on the other side of the Route 95, 
uh, Interstate 95, um, a 16-year-old kid in a stolen car has going at an excessive speed, lost control of the car, went across the divide, and hit my parents' car head-on. Um, my mother says that my father saw the car coming and tried to swerve, and consequently, the car only hit my father's side, the driver's side, head-on, and my, and my mother's side was spared. My father had just terrible internal injuries, and um, my mother, whose side was spared, had bruises and scratches. It was just amazing the difference in, in the injuries. And my mother had told me consequently how they were lying on Interstate 95, separated from each other. And she was just yelling out my father's name, John, John, John. And um, he wasn't responding because he was he was close to death and died on the interstate. And my mother was taken to the hospital. And then the chaplain took me to the hospital, took me to her room. She was um, hysterical. Um, and I came in and tried to calm her down. And I stayed with her that night in the hospital room. They set up a cot for me and I slept there as much as I could sleep. The next morning she was going to be released. But before that, um, the chaplain said I needed to go to the junkyard where the car was to retrieve their valuables from the car, the luggage and the valuables. And this was the worst part of the yeah. entire thing because, you know, I remember Jordy saying you were, you didn't have to go and see the car. No, I didn't. No. And you were very lucky because that was the worst part. Um, the whole driver's side of the car was the whole steering column was pushed back into the back seat. It was so far pushed back. The, the driver's side car, driver's side seat was completely flattened, pushed into the back seat and full of dried blood. My father's blood. Oh, God. And that is just not something that you should have to see as a 21 year old or no, any age, no. but especially as a kid. Definitely you know, not. It, was, it was not a task that I was prepared to do or should have even been sent on really they should have somehow avoided that for me to do so i get their luggage and there was my mother said there was 300 dollars in the glove compartment but it was gone someone had stolen it you know to add insult to injury yeah how wow. nice you know it's terrible and um i get back to the hotel to the hospital excuse me and um we go to the airport i take my mother back to new jersey and uh, she has no car. I take two weeks off from work and I'm driving her around to the make arrangements for the, for the viewing, for the funeral, for the cemetery, for everything like that. And one of the things that the chaplain had told to me when, when we were driving back from, uh, the host, from the, uh, airport to the hospital was, you know, make sure you take time to grieve for yourself because you're going to be very busy. And that was one thing I, I didn't do because I was so busy taking care of my mother who had, you know, lost her her husband, her, her lifelong companion, you know, her soulmate. And she was so hysterical with grief that I was totally attentive to her and mm. was not taking time to grieve for myself. The only time I had grieved was when I was in the kitchen with Marie when I first found out. And I did not cry at any other time. I was either in shock like I was flying down or I was taking care of my mom. And um, when... I went back to work a couple of weeks later. I was really much in, in a fog, was in a haze. 
Um, and I was finding out I was really disconnected from people. I wasn't associating very well. And within six weeks of going back to work, I quit because I just was mm-hmm. not able to uh, c- communicate with people the way I was before. I needed time to myself. And I took about six months before I went back to another job to take the time to really grieve, you know, to really be by myself, to be with Marie, be with my friends. Um, and um, I, I felt that um, grief took um, many forms uh, over the years. Um, especially when I got married and my father wasn't at my marriage. And um, uh, at the time, I'd only known Marie for a couple of years and he never got to know Marie as my wife. He Mm -hmm. never got to know how great a person Marie was and how loving a person we was. He never got to know her like that the way my mother did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never got to know him as an adult. I was still a kid, really. And I had my own life. You know, I, I was going to college and I was in a band and I was dating Marie and I was going to work and, you know, I was not part of my parents' life. They had their own life and I had my own life. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up, I became friends with my mother. You know, we became uh, not just mother and son. I got to know her as a person, as a person who had wants and needs and loves and things that she wanted to do in life. And I never got to know my father that way. He was still my father and not my friend, not a person, not a whole being to me. And I feel like I was robbed of that knowledge of of that. And um, I would also like to say something about the kid that was driving the car, about whether or not, you know, feeling my feelings about him. My mother feels a lot of animosity towards him, but I don't. Um, I feel that if you have hate for the person who did this, who did not do this on purpose, that hate will just eat you up for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It will fill you with um, uh, feelings that will just drag you down and, and, and will eat you up. And I don't feel... I can't say I feel sympathy for him because I understand he was a kid. He did something stupid. He didn't mean to do it, but I, I don't feel any hate towards him. And I hope that he learned from it. And I hope that he went on and, you know, I'm sure he thinks about this every day of his life. And, and I hope he feels remorse. And, um, as an adult now at 52, I process the grief differently and I feel that um, what I've missed out is loss on top of grief. And um, I deal with that in different ways. And I um, genuinely feel like I have moved towards as close as I can to acceptance and have uh, moved past grief. Mm -hmm. And um, 
if you have any questions, uh, I would be glad to answer them. Wow. Well, first, you know, thank you for sharing just a heartbreaking story. And I mean, I'm sitting here getting emotional, you know, remembering, you know, what I remember about it, that you're, you're covering here and even certain things that I didn't know and just reliving my own uh, feelings of grief for, you know, my losses. Uh, I, I, I don't even know where to start when it comes to just the absolutely haunting parallels mm-hmm. between our stories. Yes, it, it is I mean, that remarkable. it was accidental, that it was a head-on collision, mm-hmm. that, you know, your, my father tried to swerve too. They saw the, you know, the, the tire marks in the road that he tried to swerve and most of the force came, you know, to the driver's side. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, Florida is another parallel. Sure. You know, that they were, my parents were on their way to Florida at the time. Uh, just so many things. Um, you know, something that comes to mind, uh, a couple of things, really. I just, you know, I remember, you know, because I know your mom, of course, mm-hmm. more than I knew your dad. Um, and I remember at the viewing, uh, just the, the, the look, well, never forget the look on your mother's face. I mean, it was just, it just screamed out, what in the world am I going to do now? You know, what am I going to do without him? What are we going to do? Um, and, you know, it made me think some years later about how, you know, she must have been feeling, dealing with that for all those years, having been involved and having survived the accident, uh, the, 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 the stress, the post-traumatic stress involved. And it's very scary. It's so it's got to be so horrible to have witnessed Again. something like that, the love of her life. And so as far as uh, your dad is concerned, you know, like I said, I didn't really know him well. Uh, what, what would be something important about your father that you would want to tell people that that should be known about him? The thing that was about him that um, my mother stresses a lot and that I can really say is that, you know, he was such a good man. And it's easy when mm-hmm. um, someone has passed that you sort of uh, sort of uh, myth, make mythological things about them, sort of put them <laughs> on a pedestal and say, oh, they were a great yeah. man. They were a good man. They were this and they were that. But, you know, um, in the 21 years I know him, knew him he he never said anything bad about anybody you know he was really, really um such a um you know he he was very um uh tempered in in everything that he said he he, he always hmm. uh was on the side of uh giving people the benefit of the doubt and if he did have something hmm. to say about somebody you know he was very measured about it um, and mm. he, he usually said um, uh, that that um, he, he only um, said something bad about someone if they deserved it, because, you know, he would say, well, yeah. this person, you know, I, I would recommend staying away from this person because, you know, he cheats on his wife or, you know, things oh, like okay, that. You know, you. he would never say about this one. Yeah. Oh, well, he was never jealous, you know, of people. He, he was never um, someone to uh, make fun of people. And, you know, he really was mm-hmm. someone, you know, that I looked up to as someone who really was um, a role model for being a, uh, um, you know, uh, a, good, a good man. You know, he, he really was yeah. um, a good man. That said, and his worth ethic was remarkable. He was, 
Yeah. He worked at uh, Colgate Palmolive for 47 years, from the time he was 16 yeah. uh, until the time he was wow. 62. And uh, and I swear, I don't think he ever missed a day's work when I knew him. He, he yeah. just, uh, <laughs> he was up I'll every bet. day at 5.30 in the morning, came home every day at 6 o'clock, and uh, went into the living room and uh, put on the news and lifted up the newspaper and uh, watched it and went to bed at 8 o'clock and repeated the same thing every weekday, you know, and uh, it was certainly that is a, a dedicated man and a man of habit. And um, on the weekends when I wanted to play catch with him or throw a football with him, uh, despite the fact that he was, um, he was 49 when I was born. So when I was mm-hmm. like, you know, 10 years old, I wanted to play catch. He was 59 and he went out mm-hmm. there and he played catch with me and he taught me how to hit a baseball yeah. He taught me, you know, how to throw a football, and he did everything that, uh, you know, uh, and a younger father would do. And he was right out there and did everything that um, you you would expect a father to do. Um, and mm. he never uh, he never complained, and he never said no when I wanted to go out and play catch in the backyard. Uh, he was really dedicated, I mean, to his family to have to work that way. Yeah. You know, like you said, to be so disciplined to be, you know, up at 530 in bed by eight. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I'm fifth, I'm going on 53. And, you know, yeah, there are times where I'm just kind of tired. I couldn't imagine, you know, right now having a four year old, you know, three or a four year old <laughs> yeah. running around and having yeah. to put the kind of energy into that. I mean, uh, that's I mean, I, I never I'm even sadder now in a way that, you know, uh, that we did not get to, to know your father, that we didn't, uh, you know, he's not here today. And having seen you develop the way that you have into, you know, your adulthood. And, uh, you know, I, I was curious about one thing as we've been talking since we've been, uh, since you've been, you've been talking and, you know, we've been um, musicians all our lives and we've done so much music together uh, in the, the short amount of time that he got uh, to experience some of your, your music and your playing. Uh, what do you think he thought of it? Oh, yeah, have he ever yes. expressed it? He was um, very happy about it. He was definitely very yeah. impressed. Um, he was. Um, uh, I figured. <laughs> yes, he was um, always, um, you know, there for me. He he thought education was education, and being uh, disciplined in music was very important. He told me that, um, you know, he wanted me to get a good education. He wanted me to get a job where I didn't have to work with my hands like he did. He wanted me to get a job where I could work with my brain uh, so that I didn't have to break my back my whole life like he did. Yeah. And that was something that he uh, always expressed to me. And he was uh, he didn't see me graduate from college. And he always thought that as soon as I graduated from college, I was going to go out and be a teacher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um he was very proud of me going to college and very proud of me with uh, playing uh, music and how I had advanced. Um, and uh, I wish that he could have, uh, you know, heard me playing uh, mm-hmm. the jazz that we did together with us guys because right. it was really phenomenal. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, but he did get to hear me when I was playing in the Ocean County String Band. And I did some fantastic yeah. accordion work with that. Yeah. And um, yeah, he um, was definitely very supportive of my music, supportive of education. 
and uh, always envisioned me uh, being the uh, wearing the uh, you know the the wool jacket with the leather patches on the elbows and being <laughs> out there uh, in front of the classroom. Yeah. Wow. Do you feel like he had a good balance between his work and family life? It sounded like he did to me. Um, like you got to spend good time with him or, or how do you feel about that? He always felt that it was, it was very important to um, provide for the family. So during the week. That was his, that main, was his focus. main focus. And I would say that mm-hmm. during the week, we didn't get to see as much of him as we, as we could have. That Monday mm-hmm. through Friday, he worked a lot of overtime hours where he would come mm-hmm. home at 11 o'clock at night. And uh, it was during, from Monday to Friday, it was really my mom and myself. And we really bonded a lot together. We, there was a good, uh, good old uh, two-screen cinema right there in town, <laughs> which, of course, don't exist anymore. And we went to see both mm-hmm. movies every week, you know, no matter what they were. And yeah. uh, I was probably the only kid in class that got to see R-rated movies. So I was very, <laughs> <laughs> I was very. That explains uh, a yes, lot. Yes, that no, does. That yeah, really does explain <laughs> a lot. I may, I may have to tease. I may have to tease your mom about that yeah, one next I time know, I see her. I know. <laughs> I have to get on her. But about I was that. good. I got to see Rachel Bowl in the movies when I was 11 years oh old. Oh my Ooh. gosh! So, wow, nice. You know, things like that. Which, there uh, was some colorful yes, language that in that very, film. Very, very scary. The first opening Ooh. scene where uh, Jake LaMotta is getting the, the crap beat out of him. That was like scary to me. I was like yeah, cowering in my seat when, as an 11-year-old. Oh, wow. You know, and Sugar oh, Ray Leonard's man. beating the crap out of him. Oh, I can't even imagine watching that with a parent. Yeah. It's so with some of the stuff that comes out of him in that in that movie. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah with your parents there. For me, that, that, that was just uh, run-of-the-mill you know, because I, wow. I right, it was your normal. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Isn't it something? All these years I've known you, and I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my mother did not censor. She was very good, and I think that really led to my great love of cinema and being a really a That's cinephile cool. because I just saw some huh. of the greatest movies in the seventies and eighties that you know in in I the bet. cinema that I I would not have otherwise seen if I was yeah. going by the by the rule book of not seeing you know, yeah. some of the more R-rated movies. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it, so it had, it had its, um, you know, upside, you know, that my mother mm-hmm. and I really bonded during the week. But he was there yeah. on the weekends, and we spent uh-huh. a lot of time together on the weekends and a lot of good quality time. But for, during the week, he was really set on, you know, providing for the family. And if that meant working double shifts every day, he would do it if it was available. You know, yeah. right. so there, there was it wasn't very balanced, but it was for a reason because he really yeah, was really wanted to provide for the family. That's yeah, his that was his priority. Right. And, yeah. 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 Clearly, he took care of business there. And I, I uh, you know, what I remember about your dad is I, he always just kind of struck me as just more like the strong, silent type. Yes, exactly. He always seemed like he was he was on the quiet side. Um, like what types of uh, like did you guys like when you have conversations about things like issues and stuff, maybe school and, you know, regular life? Uh, what kind of uh, advice, uh, you know, did he I mean, I know you had said mm-hmm. certain things about education or whatever. Whether, what other kind of life advice can you remember him giving you? Um, well, like I said, he, he was really more like um, a leader by example. Setting, by example. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he gave mm-hmm. me the advice Good. about education was probably his biggest advice that he gave me. And the rest of it was, you know, work hard, uh, don't complain, be a good worker, 
Um, and that really um, is something that I've taken, you know, took into my life when I was younger to, um, uh, to, you know, to work hard, to not, to not be mm-hmm. um, a, uh, a goof off, to, to, uh, right. to not be that, 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 that person at, at work that is the, um, the slacker. The slacker. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. The one that other people have to really kind of yeah. stay on yeah. and pay attention Every, to and deal with. That, it's the your an issue. I'm talking about. Yeah. To not be yeah, that person. Exactly. To be the, that person that's yeah, an to issue. To be the, the go-getter, mm-hmm. to be the hard worker, right. to be the one that um, advances uh, at, at what they're doing. Uh, and that had, that definitely uh, affected me a lot when I had my first jobs and was, uh, yeah. when I first worked at McDonald's, I, I was only there for, 14 months before I was a manager and that's like out of, mm-hmm. that's really wow. beyond, that's that amazing. Really is amazing. It's, yeah. it's beyond uh, the pale of what happens. You usually have to be there for years yeah. before you become a manager, but I was just like such a hard worker and such a, um, uh, you know, well-regarded that with, you know, in 14 months, I mean, I wasn't even 18 yet legally. I wasn't, you were I wasn't even allowed to, you know, count the money yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah. At that point, but you know, they were just like, "Oh, well, we'll, we'll just let that slide because you're so responsible." You know <laughs> that uh, that's something. Yeah. Because like every, even like I can think to like twenty one, twenty two, even maybe twenty three. Just about everyone that I knew was at like the lowest possible entry level type position you could have. You right. know, <laughs> and you know, you were <laughs> before you even graduated high school. You know, you're. You're, you're, you're at a manager, uh, you have a manager, a management position. Right. That's something. Yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, you, you really learned well from, from your father, from oh, your parents. I mean, I, I'd have to yeah. say the opposite of myself. It, it took me a long time before I decided I was going to pay attention to, to any of their advice or their examples. It's, I, it's like I knew it. I guess maybe I was a little bit more on the rebellious side. Um, yeah, what a shocker. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, I as I said, all the, the parallels that we have are really incredible. Um, even I know as your story is going to progress it again, it, it follows along some of the same, uh, same, uh, uh, issues like the, with the, the, uh, I, we know right. what's coming up right. you know, about the body pain right. and pain, stuff, anxiety, but, uh, sure. pain and anxieties and, uh, and just that we're, we have, we both share such a love of music. Um, what, in what ways did, did you feel like when my parents died, what ways did that affect you? Um, well, first, having yeah. already because you went through it right. first, even though it was a long time right. ago. What in what way did that affect you? Um, well, first, the similarities um, w- was just shocking. That that really threw me. Uh, I I couldn't believe it. Um, and, and then, of course, um, it brought back the memories, and it was very unpleasant to think about. But um, I think I was the same with with my mother because. Uh, her loss was so much greater than mine. I was very much focused on making sure that she was taken care of, that your mm-hmm. loss, you know, of course, w- was so great that I was really focused on making sure that I could do everything that I could for you um, yeah. was really you did. was really what I was focused on. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, um, it, it sounds to me like in that, in, you know, I'm just getting to know you mm-hmm. right now. I see you as one of the most selfless people mm-hmm. I may have ever 
met. I mean, for you to lose your dad at that young Mm -hmm. of age and to see your mom going through what she was going through and you just tended to her and left yourself out, so to Mm. speak, but that is, you're a beautiful son. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I mean, what a blessing for her. No, you're welcome. Um, You don't need to thank me. I mean, that's just amazing because please don't take this the wrong way, but 21 male selfless. (laughs) It doesn't usually work like that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, that's really amazing. And the other thing that I was going to tell you, or that I thought of when, when you're talking is that um, how your dad said he wanted you to do something um, using your brain, not your hands. I feel like he could see you or in you what maybe, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but maybe what you didn't see in yourself at the time. Because I, I know in talking to you the few times that I have, you are a very intelligent mm-hmm. young man. Wow. So to me, I feel like he, yes. So for him to say that to you makes me think that he already saw that. Sure he did. You know, and Mm. that's why he was telling you that. Because sometimes when you're that young, you don't think that far ahead. No. You know, you just kind of go with the flow or, you know, do little, little piddly things. But he knew better. He knew what you had inside of you. And he, that's why he said that to you. Um. Yeah, I'm so sorry for both of you. I, I agree. And it's, yeah. it's so mind-blowing what you two went through. I mean, Gerard could tell you, I know you can't see me, but as soon as you said what you said, I, I just my, I just held my head in my hands. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just, I'm so sorry for what you all went through. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine it. Um, and knowing you two the way I do now, I mean, I know Gerard a, a bit better no than longer, I know John, yeah. but... Um, how evenly keeled you are, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's pretty amazing. Uh, balanced. Like John, I, when I talk to you, you're like, so calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so he even is. keeled, he you is. know, you're like Mr. Clint Eastwood over there. Steady. I can't say the same about you, <laughs> no, <laughs> but he, he's just animated. That's yeah, all, that's but all. he is still level. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I would have never, um, you know, at such a young age for you to be that way, John, that's very amazing. Mm-hmm, and yeah. I can see how you are now. You're such a genuinely kind-hearted person. He is. John's always been the guy that has been kind of like, you know, a step or so uh-huh. ahead of the rest of us mm-hmm. in so many developmental ways. And, the, you know, we've always looked to John, you know, for that kind of guidance. Because, John, yeah. John, you know, you are a teacher mm-hmm. in, in more ways than you'd probably uh, realize that you are. Well, I really appreciate you both saying that. And, you know, I, I, would, I would just like to say that um, I, I really think that no matter what age you are, that family is the most important thing that you need to take care of. And there's no age limit on that or age minimum. That's you true. have to take care of your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. You're right. Well, anybody else uh, got anything uh, to add before we wrap up? Nope. Oh, I think I'm okay. Good. I'm okay. Good. I really appreciate well, yeah, John. you, John, opening up to us like that. Yeah, that's right. That's real... I appreciate everybody listening. We know it's not easy. Took a lot of we, we know it's not easy. And mm-hmm. uh, like you said, we, you take care of your family. You take care of your people. We're here to take care of each other and to try to help anybody out there that we can. So we hope everyone uh, 
We'll stay tuned as uh, we've concluded uh, the first part of John's story. We'll be back for the rest. So uh, for the listeners, thank you again for tuning in, and we will uh, see you again soon. Goodbye, everyone.